in 1985, the most popular selling toy was the Teddy Ruxpin. Mm. Any, anyone have the Teddy Ruxpin? Okay, good. Uh, so, um, when I was a child, uh, I had the Teddy Ruxpin. Now, if you are not familiar with Teddy Ruxpin, let me introduce you to him. Uh, he was a bear, okay, a stuffed bear, uh, and when you bought him, he came with a book uh, and a cassette tape. Now, uh, for those of you in the room who are young, a cassette tape is, it's like a plastic thing. It's got spools and ribbon. Anyway, so you got a cassette tape, and a book, okay? A book has pages. You don't swipe this, anyway. <clears throat> so what you did with Teddy Ruxpin uh, is you would take the cassette tape and you would put it in his back and you would hit play um, and he, his like mouth would move and his little eyes would blink and he would essentially read the story to you uh, as you followed along in the book. And as a kid, I loved, 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 loved Teddy Ruxpin. I mean, I carried this thing around. He was like my BFF. We did everything together. And at that point in time in my life, if you would have asked me, is there ever gonna be a time where you and Teddy Ruxpin are not not together, I would have said firmly, no, we will always be together. Until I saw a commercial about G.I. Joe's. Huh? And, and at that point, there was something in me that wanted to fight against the evil Cobra commander. So I had to go out and get G.I. Joe's, okay? And, and, and then that was it for me. I mean, I, I thought I could have just been done. I don't need any other toys. I don't, I don't need any other loves in my life. My, my new love is G.I. Joe's and, and, and we would make parachutes out of plastic bags and, and we'd build forts and, and we, I mean, just for hours, we, we loved the G.I. Joe's until the late, uh, late 80s, early 90s, a brand new Fab Four came out on the scene. You might know them as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then I couldn't care less about G.I. Joe's. I had to get these turtles. I mean, they're teenagers, they're mutants. What's not to love? Um, so, so we got these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I even had the little layer where you would put them in there and it was like the sewer and you push this button and the ooze came out. I mean, I loved that toy and, and played with it for hours and hours and hours until they opened up a skating ring close to my house, and then I would go there all the time, and I had no more time for the turtles, and so now I was into roller skating, and so, so I bought these, I had like my own roller skates, and I could like cross and skate backwards, couple skaters, slow skaters only. I was all about it. I loved it um, until I started listening to punk rock music, and then of course, I had to go get a skateboard, okay? So, so then I had this skateboard, and I used to skateboard so much that I wore holes in my shoes, and, and, and I just loved it so much, and, and, and if you would have asked me, is there ever going to be a time in your life where you don't skateboard, I would say, no, I'm going to skateboard till I'm 80. You know, just hook one up to the, to the you know, chair, the wheelchair here. Thing. I'm, I'm going all the way with this skateboarding thing until I met the pastor's daughter at a local church, okay? <clears throat> and then if Tony Hawk himself would have came in and said, hey, dude, do you want to skate with me? I would have said, no, I've got to talk for hours on the phone to Chelsea. Like, that's that's why I have no more time to practice my kickflip right now. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get this, you know, phone stuck to my ear for two hours, talking about absolutely nothing. Now, maybe if, if you're like me, you can look back at your life and see a trail of past loves um, that now are essentially gathering dust in a closet somewhere. 
There, there is this thing that happens in your life where you find this love and, and you could never see yourself departing from it. I mean, you would give your right arm for it. It is what you love. It's what drives you. It's what you think about. Um, it's all that you can focus on. And then at some point, something, something happens and you don't have time for that thing anymore. It's not as important to you. And as a matter of fact, as time goes on, you find that it's not important to you at all. You see, what happens there is a new and greater love comes in and pushes out the old. That's how that happened. I found a new and greater love uh, in, in you know, the G.I. Joes, and so that pushed out Teddy Ruxpin, right? He, he began to gather dust in the closet, right? I, I, I found a new love in uh, the pastor's daughter, okay? And, and I could care less about skateboarding. It was the new love, this new affection that moved in and it effectively pushed out the old. Listen to this quote from Thomas Chalmers. He is a 19th century Scottish preacher. Listen to what he has to say. A new affection is more successful in replacing an old affection than simply trying to end it without supplanting it with something better, okay? What, what's, what's he saying? He, he's saying, how does our old loves die? Well, they die because we get a new love. There, there's something more powerful. It, 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 it's a new affection. There's uh, some type of expulsive power in a new affection. This love drives us to the things that we used to love, the things that we used to enjoy. This new thing comes in and takes the, over that space and we no longer have time for those other things, now, when we look at that as far as the Christian life is concerned, this is basically the guiding principle for all that we do. Now, when we used to love to watch Netflix, now we're turning that off and reading our Bible, right? You, you love Downton Abbey, right? You, you are so concerned about what Lord Grantham is going to do, but now all of a sudden you could care less about Downton Abbey. You want to know what's happening in the book of Judges or in the book of Acts or there's, there's some, you used to love it, but now there's a new love when you used to love to sleep in. I mean, who doesn't love to sleep in? But here you guys are, you got up out of your bed and, and drug yourself here to church, Okay, and you're gonna have to be doing that earlier next week, but, but you used to love to sleep in, but now there's a new love which is gathering with God's people to, to hear the, the, the word sung and to hear the word preached, and it's that new love that now drives you to, to a new affection, to a new action. It, you used to take all of your money and view it as yours and spend it all on yourself, but that new love, the love for the church, the love for Christ, the love to see the gospel go forward, drives you then to tithe and to give. Right? That, that is the expulsive power of a new affection. Okay? This is the driving principle for the Christian life. So, so if we find ourselves struggling to walk in regular spiritual disciplines, if we find ourselves struggling entrenched in sin, the answer is replacing the love for that sin with a greater love for Christ. See how that works? So today, um, what we're going to see um, in our text is a people who loved their city. They loved their city, Ephesus. They, 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 I mean, they, they had the jersey, right? The Ephesus jersey. They had the coffee mug. They, they had the bumper sticker on the back of their chariot. And they had, you know, the, the Ephesus tattoo to match. 
Not only they love Ephesus as a city, they also loved the worship of that city, which the entire city worshiped Artemis. And they, they loved Artemis. I mean, that, that, that was what they were all about. But something happened. Something changed them from this deep love and affection, devotion to Artemis to something impacted the economy to where now nobody is buying these little silver shrines anymore. Now there is this expulsive power that, that, that has driven them to a new affection. What, what happened there? That's the question um, that we're going to be looking at today. Now, as you can see, we have concluded the book of Judges and we're jumping back into Acts. Now, by a show of hands, who was here with us as we began to preach through Acts? Okay, cool. This next section will be for the rest of you. What I want to do is I want to reacclimate us to the book of Acts because we've been out of it for so long, okay? So, so if you weren't with us, I'm going to catch you up. If you were with us, then I'm just going to reacclimate us, okay? We're, we're going to ease into the book of Acts. We have a ton of stuff to cover, so I'm going to go really, really fast. Can you guys stick with me? Okay, cool. Let's go really fast and just get ourselves back reacclimated with the book of Acts since we're jumping back in in chapter 19 and, and we've covered a lot, okay? So let's ask some very simple questions about it. Let's just read uh, the very beginning part of Acts because I think that'll help us. Acts chapter one, verses one through three. Here we go. I said we're going fast. Let's do it. In the, book, uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What is the book of Acts about? We're gonna be going the rest of this way, all the way through this book this summer, okay? So, so we can start by asking, what is this book about? Well, um, this just said that the first book that he wrote, okay, the author is Luke. He is a medical doctor. He is a historian. The first book that he wrote uh, is the Gospel of Luke, and this is the second part. Okay, so this is a book in two parts. The first part, Luke. Second part, Acts. Okay, they're often referred to as Luke-Acts because they are essentially the same book, just in two parts, okay? The first part began and dealt with Jesus, his life and his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and then Acts is what irresistibly flows out of the gospel. It is, Luke tells the story of redemption, and Acts is the outworking or the concrete reaction to the story of redemption. This is what happened. So um, he said, in the first book, I dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. Okay? So that's what it's about. It's about what Jesus is going to begin to do and teach through the church, through the apostles, and seeing the gospel spread uh, throughout the entire world. Listen to this. In the early 1900s, uh, there was a Scottish archaeologist named William Ramsey. Okay, Lis Just listen to this guy's resume, Okay, Th this archaeologist. He was appointed the Regis Professor of Humanity, the Latin professor at Aberdeen. In 1906, he was knighted to mark his distinguished service to the world of scholarship. Ramsey also gained three honorary fellowships from Oxford colleges, nine honorary doctorates from British colonial and North American universities, and he became an honorary member of almost every association devoted to archaeology and historical research. That's a lot, okay? This guy's got an incredible resume. 
Now, um, as he set out to study the ancient world, little was known about towns and cities in the ancient world. No, nobody really knew anything because that work hadn't been done yet. And, and this guy, William Ramsey, was so skeptical about Luke's account in Acts because it gives so much detail about towns, cities, political structures, names. And, and William Ramsey said, there's no way. That there's no way that can be right. But here is what he concluded. After a lifetime of study, however, William uh, Ramsey concluded, with further study showed that the book of Acts could bear the most minute scrutiny as, uh, as the authority for the facts of the Aegean world and that it was written with such judgment, skill, art, and perception of truth as to be a model of historical statement. Okay, uh, Luke has no internet, he has no libraries, he... How does Luke know all of this information that we're diving into in Acts? Well, it's because he went along with the Apostle Paul to Ephesus, to Colossae, to all of these places. And as Luke is going, as a historian and as a medical doctor, a right-thinking, rational person, he is writing history down as he's seeing it unfold. So today, when we read this account of what happens in Ephesus, this massive riot, we're, we're getting that because a historian was there to see it, to witness it, and to write it down. And and it was preserved for us so that we can have it today. This is meant to give us great encouragement as we go through the book of Acts, as we see the ascension, as, as, as we see the church, as the Holy Spirit comes down on the church at the day of Pentecost, as we see all of the miracles take place, as we see the apostle Paul get converted, as, as we see the church just expand out of Jerusalem and throughout the whole world, as, as we see Paul engage in these missionary journeys and people getting saved, this is meant for us to be a great encouragement that Jesus is alive today, amen? that the gospel is still going out, that there's purpose in our life, there's meaning beyond just waking up and going to work and earning a paycheck and, and that there's something more to life than that. And what more is there? Well, there's the mission of Jesus Christ. This is a testament of that and we get to engage in that today and that's good news. So that's what the book of Acts is about. It is about the going and growing of the gospel. It's about what Jesus is still doing. He, he's doing it in Acts and he's doing it today. Okay, so, so again, that, maybe that will kind of give us some framework um, of, of where we've been in Acts and kind of what we've seen. So, so right now we're gonna cannonball into uh, where Paul has uh, been going on these missionary journeys. He, he's gathering a team of people around him, with him. He's going from town to town, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. So we're jumping in the middle of one of his missionary journeys. Let's take a look at chapter 19. I'm just going to read 21 uh, through 22. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having, spent, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Okay. Here he is in Ephesus. He has been there preaching and teaching, uh, sharing the gospel uh, and, and, and doing that to great effect. Many, many people are getting saved. Okay, so here we are uh, in this city of Ephesus. Here's what we need to know uh, about Ephesus. This is a thriving city with a quarter of a million people. Listen, for the ancient world, that is huge, okay? with a quarter of a million people, which places it third uh, in the entire Roman Empire, ranked with Rome and Alexandria, 
Okay, this is the communication and transportation hub of all of Asia Minor. Because of this, it's Paul who strategically picks Ephesus to go into to begin to share the gospel because it's a communication and transportation hub. What better place to go to and preach the gospel so that then the gospel then goes out from there? Okay, Paul is a brilliant strategist. There in Ephesus, there was a massive amphitheater which could seat 24,000. We're gonna see him go into that theater today. And then an amphitheater which sat 24,000, a medical training center, baths, gyms, games, and festivals, which ranked right up there uh, with the Olympian Games. Okay, this is an amazing, technologically advanced, cultural center of a city. Not only was it a cultural center, it was also a religious center. This is essentially the height and center of pagan worship. They had multitudes, multitudes of gods there in Ephesus. Not only did they have a multitude of gods, but they had one god that they really focused on. This was Artemis, okay? This is where Artemis was loved, adored. Everybody loved Artemis, and it was their main source of worship, Okay, uh, the temple uh, for Artemis was completely made of marble. It was one of the largest structures in the ancient world. Okay, so now, now we've landed in Ephesus. We've kind of got to know its people, its culture. It's very religious. It's very pagan. It's very advanced. And there is Paul in the midst of it, preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 23 through 27. About that time, there arose no little disturbance. Luke loves to use that phrase. Okay, if it wasn't a little disturbance, it was a, yeah, it was a big disturbance. We, we get your point there, Luke. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, meaning he brought a lot of business. These he gathered together, with workmen of similar trades. And he said, men, you know what from the business that we have our wealth. And you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with human hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that the trade of ours but come into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may be deposed from her magnificence, uh, she whom all Asia and the world worships. Okay, now, 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 now. These guys make their living off of the worship of Artemis. They would craft and make uh, these little uh, sculptures of Artemis, uh, which is kind of uh, the head of a woman, and then it was like a multi-breasted goddess thing, okay? And, and they would make these shrines, and they would sell them to people, and this was huge business, okay? Uh, you would, if, if you were in that day and time, and you were an Artemis worshiper, you would have an Artemis shrine in your home, so, so maybe you went and, and spent big money on the, the, the big silver one, right? But, but then you also went back and got the medium-sized silver one to go in your business, uh, you know, and then the little tiny one to go on the dashboard of your chariot. You, you just carried these things around with you all the time um, so that you could give worship uh, to Artemis uh, at any time. So what's happening here uh, is that people aren't buying the shrines. They're, they've made the shrines. They, the shrines are on the table. Excuse me, sir, would you like to buy a shrine? No. 
Okay, that's what's happening, and it's impacting their, their bank accounts. Okay, so, so here, this guy Demetrius, apparently he is kind of a, a leader of the guild or you know, whatever. He, he is kind of the, the, the spokesperson or leader for all of these craftsmen who are engaged in this trade. And so he gathers them all together, and he essentially gives them a threefold argument of why they need to do something. Okay, one. It's affecting our bank account. He said, from it, we have our wealth, right? If you want to make somebody mad, mess with their money, okay? That's why preachers are never allowed to talk about money, right? <clears throat> so one, <laughs> one, it's messing with their money. They're, they're mad about that. You're not allowed to mess with our money. What this guy is saying and doing is, is creating a problem for us. And, and now we're not gonna be able to buy our summer home because of what this guy is saying and doing. This is a real problem, guys. We've got to band together and do something. Second, it's not only monetary, it's religious, right? C come on, guys. We, we love Artemis. We worship Artemis. You know, but of course, we don't want anybody to think we're too money hungry and materialistic. So we need to sprinkle a little bit of religion on there. Come on, guys. Uh, we, we can't allow, uh, you know, our temple and our great Artemis to fall in disrepute for people not to like her and love her and, you know, worship her like we do. So we got to do something about this. Also, it's national. Okay. So it's monetary, it's religious, and it's national. He said, for this is the God that, that all Asia and the whole world worships, okay? What was Ephesus known for? It was known for the worship of Artemis. So, so he's saying, come on, guys, where's your Ephesian pride? We, we can't allow this guy to say this and do this because this is a national thing. We're, we, we gotta muster up our Ephesian pride and, and, and really go out there and take care of this because we, we cannot allow this to happen, Okay, so apparently whatever Demetrius does or says here works. These people uh, get riled up, they get mad, and, and they're ready to fist fight um, over their God. Let's take a look at what happens in verses 28 through 34. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they were filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul, uh, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not even know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who from the Jews he had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians." Okay, so, so get this picture in your mind. There they are assembled, uh, all of the workmen, all the craftsmen. There's Demetrius going, we're not gonna take it, right? So, and, and they're all like, no, we're not gonna. And so they all get up and they, and they go out and, and they're running through the city streets. They're, they're mad, they're angry. And, and somebody's like, hey, why are you go so mad and yelling? And we're mad at Paul. And like, what'd he say? I think he said he likes the fall. Oh, I love the fall too, let's go. And you know, they all go in and somebody else is like, what'd they say? They're going to the mall. Oh, yeah, come on. We're all going to the mall. And so, you know, everybody is just kind of gathering together. Now, scholars believe that during this time, there's actually a huge festival uh, to celebrate Artemis. It, it's, it's like this national holiday to celebrate Artemis, which means for them in this culture, what you would do, wake up in the morning, uh, you know, start drinking, 
you know, maybe worship Artemis a little bit and keep drinking. Uh, so, so you have to imagine the city streets are flooded with people who have been drinking a lot and now there's this big mob that's coming and yelling and they're drunk and you go, hey, do you want to yell with us for a little while? And the drunk guys are like, yeah, sounds cool. So, so there they are and they're all yelling. Here's a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He says, a mob is a monster with heads enough, but no brains. (laughs) So the craftsmen, they're seeking a reaction. They want to put it into this. So they stir the crowd up. Um, Everybody is kind of in this holiday celebratory. We've had way too many cups. Um, and, And they just kind of get swept away until everybody's just kind of finds themselves in the theater, this massive theater that sees 24,000. You know, some are mad, some are dead. We don't know why we're here. We're just kind of hanging out and yelling. That guy's yelling, so I, I want to yell too. And, and, and that's kind of what's happening. As they were going, they're obviously looking for Paul, but they can't find him. So they grab up Gaius and, and Aristarchus and, and they just kind of drag them along with them because they, they want these guys to, to pay. Like we, we, again, they're, they're assembled to do something to take out um, their, their wrath um, on these people. Now, what is so interesting, what we saw next is this massive crowd is assembled. They're, they're in there. They've grabbed up some of Paul's disciples and, and they're there. And what does Paul want to do? I'm going in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. What, what are you, insane, Paul? Like, do, do you just like bar fights? I mean, like what... Why, why would you go in there? You know if you go in there, Paul, they're gonna kill you. They're really, really, really angry with you. Okay, it is, it is not wise for you to go in there, Paul. But, but listen, Paul has a greater affection for Christ than he does his life. The love for his comfort, security, um, for, for his physical well-being is overshadowed by a new and greater affection, which is love for Christ. Paul sees a massive crowd, 24,000 people assembled, and what does he think? They need to hear the gospel. Yeah, but they'll kill you. I don't care. I'll get to preach the gospel. They'll hear about Jesus. Let me in there. Let me go. Okay? By God's grace, by God's preserving grace, this was not his time to die. That comes later on. His disciples essentially refrain him from going. And some of the Asiarchs, those are uh, kind of the higher ups of the city, okay? Kind of the city fathers or the elders. They, they also were friends of Paul's and they're, they're sending him, you know, letters and they're texting him and like, dude, do, do not go in there, you know, frowny face, frowny face, frowny face. Dude, don't do it, right? Don't go in there. So he is refrained uh, and stopped from going in there. All of a sudden, this other character pops up. It says, uh, then some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who from the Jews they put forward and motioning with his hands to make a defense to the crowd. Uh, uh, Apparently, the the Jews in that town are, are thinking, we don't want this crowd to think that we like Paul or his message or his ministry. So... Who's going to go tell them that, that we don't like Paul either, okay? You know, you, you go tell them that, right? So, so they grab Alexander and, and they you know, tell them we're not for the way, right? That's, that's what they were called. T- tell them we're not into that. You stand at the, so, so there Alexander is like, okay, you know, calm down guys. You know, I can see a paper airplane going by and somebody's, you know, throwing an eraser at him. He's like, you know, okay, calm, calm down guys. Um, I, and they cut him off. They're in Ephesus, their racism and their nationalism 
would not allow them to even hear from him. He was a Jew. He was looked down upon. He was not an Ephesian. He didn't worship Armas. We don't like him. We don't want to hear from him. And then all of a sudden, this massive drunk crowd enters into a two-hour worship session uh, for their great goddess, Artemis. I mean, can, can you imagine how dizzying and almost nauseating that, that I mean, 24,000 people chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, this happened. So the question is, what's going to happen to Gaius and what's going to happen to Aristarchus? And I mean, is, is this massive, insane crowd just going to implode the whole city? What's, what's going to happen next? Would Gaius or Aristarchus maybe get to preach the gospel? Would, 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 would something happen to where they would be able to speak up and maybe possibly spare their lives? Well, interestingly enough, in God's providence, he doesn't use Paul. He doesn't use Gaius or Aristarchus. He actually uses the pagan town clerk to dismiss the crowd and save the lives of these two disciples. Let's take a look at what happens next. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of Ephesus is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring the charges against one another. But if you, see, uh, if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly, okay? So the town clerk steps forward. Uh, this is not a short, bald guy with glasses and a calculator, okay? Uh, th this is actually, the, the town clerk was one of the uh, highest profile offices uh, in the town. He would have been making important decisions uh, concerning the city. He would have kept the city records. Uh, he would have been in charge of the temple funds, okay? So when this guy stands up to speak, uh, he, he has great, great influence, okay? So, so he finally gets everybody under control. He, he quiets everyone down. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. So when he stands up to speak, everybody kind of shuts up, okay? All right, here's, we, we know that the town clerk, let, you know, he'll, he'll take care of this thing, okay? So here's how he begins. He begins by reassuring them that everything's okay, Okay, I, hey guys, I know sales have been a little down, okay, but, but who is there out there who doesn't know about our great goddess? I mean, everybody knows that. Everybody knows how awesome she is. So that means your business won't go away. As a matter of fact, we have the stone that fell from the sky. Now, it's a really curious thing, and, and there's a lot of debate about what that means, but most scholars believe that it was a meteorite that fell from the sky, and they, they said, hey, that's Artemis, of course, you know, um, and so then they, they kept it and, and worshiped it. And so the, the argument that Paul was making was what? Gods made by human hands are not gods at all. The argument the town clerk is making, our God fell from the sky. It was not made by human hands. 
of course, all the craftsmen are making gods made by human hands, but, but we have the sacred stone that fell from the sky, see? So look, everybody knows that everything's gonna be okay. Come here, I'll just, I'll give all the craftsmen a hug, tell them it's gonna be okay, you know, rock them to sleep, it's gonna be fine. Just calm down, okay? That's essentially uh, what, what he's saying, okay? Now, uh, he says, these things cannot be denied, right? You can't deny it, everything's just fine. Now, what he says next is really, really curious, okay? These people are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. That's interesting. The Christians, Paul, like the Apostle Paul, like stand in the city square and preach the gospel, Apostle Paul, and his disciples are not sacrilegious, nor do they blaspheme Artemis? That's very confusing. Is anyone else confused by that? As a matter of fact, if we think back to Paul in Athens, listen to this. This is Acts chapter 17, verse 16. We went over this. Let's just read it. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul goes into Athens and there's idols everywhere and his spirit is provoked, meaning he was angry that Jesus was not being worshiped and, and that God was not getting his rightful glory. So did he have a change of heart when he went into Ephesus? Oh, Artemis isn't that big a deal. I think not. So, so again, like, is Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote all these books, is he for Artemis? No, the answer is no. So, so we have to ask ourselves, why does this guy say this? And, and why does this come up? Okay. Was Paul opposed to Artemis worship? Yes. But Paul did not arouse the opposition of the silversmiths by picketing the temple and starting an anti-idol rally. He, Paul wasn't standing at the temple of Artemis, you know, going back and forth, you know, with the sign, you know, yelling at people as they go in, you know, hell's hot. You know that, right? You know, he, he, he wasn't doing that. That's not what, he, he didn't get together an, an anti-Artemis uh, coalition. He got together a gospel coalition. You see, Paul and those disciples were known about, their, they were known for their proclamation, not their denunciation. That's what they went out to do. They didn't go out to tell everybody that they were wrong. They didn't go out to tell everybody that they were stupid and, and liars and dumb and that they were going to hell. Rather, they went out to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ, that there is hope in life and that hope is found in Jesus Christ alone because of his work on the cross. What did he do on the cross? I'm glad you asked. What he did on the cross is that he took on our sin, our shame. He took it onto himself and on that cross, it was crucified so that the sins that I have have in my past, present, and future were nailed to the cross along with his hands and his feet. And that by faith in Christ alone, I can be made new. I can be regenerated. I can be right standing with God. I can have hope, life, joy, peace, and I can live forever with him in a real place called the new heaven and new earth. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel. And, and that's what they were proclaiming and preaching. They weren't going around going, hey, all your idols are stupid and you guys are going to hell. They were known for what they were for, not mainly what they were against. What would the world's perception of the church be if we were known more 
for what we were for instead of all the things that we're against. The sad news is that somewhere along the line, the church as a whole has turned down this road to to, to be anti this and anti that, and we're gonna picket this, and we're gonna protest that, and we're not gonna go to these specific stores, and we're not gonna go to these specific you know, amusement parks, and, and, and we're gonna you know, create this rally and oppose all of these things. Instead of the church doing its right business, which what's the business of the church? Preaching the gospel. What if the church was just known for, hey, there's a bunch of loving people who have one message to preach. That's the gospel. So listen, friends, here at this church, I am never gonna tell you what political candidate you should vote for, okay? It's not gonna happen. Now, do I have political opinions? Very strong ones, very strong ones. But that is not what this pulpit is for, okay? So I'm not gonna do that. I'm I'm gonna preach the gospel. I'm not gonna tell you what stores you should go into or shouldn't go into, I'm not gonna do that. Do I have opinions about that? Absolutely, okay? But that is not what this stage is for. That's not what the church is for. The, the church's business and what we're supposed to be doing in the world is sharing and preaching <clears throat> the gospel. The church must emphasize what we are for, not what we are against. Let me ask you a question today, believers. Believers, do, does your family, coworkers, and friends know what you are for, or do they only know what you're against? You see, when you tell people what you're for, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the implications come later. When you speak the gospel, what happens there is you're hoping to create a new affection, And you're hoping that that new affection would be expulsive or that it would serve to drive out those other loves. Here's what I mean. You can't just tell someone who is attracted to the same sex you are against them. You must tell them the gospel and give them a greater affection. Do you see how that works? If you just go to somebody who's attracted to the same sex and you say, you know what, our our church is against that. Okay, you've done nothing there. You haven't accomplished anything. Why not give them a source of a greater affection so that they might lay that down and love Jesus more than their sexual orientation? How about this? Jesus uh, went and sat down at a well. And, and there was a woman there. You guys remember this story, okay? And, and he says to her, um, I, uh, I know you've had, you know, multiple husbands and, and you've got a live-in boyfriend now, okay? Here's what he says, here's what he doesn't say next. You know I'm against divorce. You know, I, I, I despise divorce and I, I, don't, I don't like that at all. And, and, I, and I think the way that you're living is wrong. He doesn't say that. He says, you know, um, you're here at this well, and uh, I could, I, I know you've had multiple husbands. I know you've got a living boyfriend. I could give you a drink of water, and, and you'd never be thirsty again. He offered her a greater affection than living in sin. 
He said, you're, you're loving these men, you're, you're loving their attention and, and you're giving your body to them because you want their affection and attention because you love their affection and attention so much. Why not I give you a greater love than affection and attention from men? I can give you a, a greater love, which is affection and attention from God the Father. The, the, the heavenly creator of the universe can love you and, and affirm you and, and, and give you all the things that you're looking for. What, just love Jesus, love me, love the Father. Come on, this is, this is better, isn't it? I'm gonna give you a greater affection and allow that expulsive power, that, that, that love that shifts out the old love to, to come in and take effect. And, and that's, what, that's what these believers were doing. Now, as the town clerk stands, uh, he, he is essentially telling them uh, that if they're not careful, they're gonna be charged with rioting. Now, uh, here's what you need to know about Ephesus. Ephesus was under Roman rule, yet it was a free city. Here's what that means. They were able to elect their own officials, uh, you know, make judgment calls, and, and the city itself was basically under Roman rule, but allowed to do whatever it wanted, okay? But if the city's crazy and they're rioting and everything's off the chain, what's gonna happen? Well, the Romans are gonna come in and be breathing down their neck. We, we gave you guys a chance to be a free city. You couldn't handle it. You know, there's rioting and mobs and all that kind of stuff. So, so what we have to understand from this clerk is that what he is doing is essentially politically motivated. He, he doesn't want to lose the freedom of the city. So he says, uh, if you have an issue, take it before the court, uh, do the right thing, right thing, thing here, thing here, want Rome breathing down our necks, okay? Don't we enjoy our freedom, okay? Then shut up and go home, is, is basically um, what he tells them, okay? So, so then they go home and chapter 19 is over. Now, here's the question that we must ask ourselves. The question looming behind the text is, how did he get them to stop buying shrines? How did he and this tiny band of missionaries, okay? It's just him and a few guys, right? They go into the city and they have this massive economic impact. How did they do that? How did they get people to stop buying the shrines, especially if they weren't on the, you know, anti-Artemis campaign? How how did, how did they do that? Here's how they did it. The gospel rightly preached never leaves people in an indifferent state of mind. They preached the gospel. And from that good news, okay, from that gospel, there was clear and definite implications. You see, friends, today we live in a world to where, um, you know, relativism and passivism rules the day. If you're just kind of relative and passive, then nobody is forced to make a decision, okay? You know, I, I go to church, you know, and it's really helpful for me. You know, it might be for you. Okay, so, so now at that point, the person you're talking to has the option to say, well, I tried it and it didn't work. Okay, so, so you've left it in a really passive kind of, you know, it's, it's, you know, yeah, I like it. It's helpful for me, you know, to get through my day to day and, you know, brings me, I, mean, I feel better when I leave, you know. That's not forcing them to make any type of decision. That clarity forces a decision. When you say Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, the only way uh, to be right in, in God's eyes is to follow Jesus and take on his righteousness because we're not good enough in it of ourselves. 
So either you believe Jesus is who he said he was or you don't. That's, that's the dividing line there. That's what they were saying, okay? And so from the people in that city, they were saying, Jesus Christ is the only one true God. As an Ephesian, I'm going, hmm. If Jesus Christ is the only one true God, then that makes Artemis... Do you see how the implication necessarily follows? As, as they're just simply preaching the gospel, the, the implication came. Look, look, here's how it goes. What we see here is proclamation, implication, and transformation. You like all those words? They're fun. Okay, here we go. What we see is proclamation. They're preaching the gospel. Jesus Christ is the only God, and belief on him is the only way to be saved. That's what they're proclaiming, okay? There was clear proclamation, leading to gospel implication. The implication, if Jesus Christ is the only one true God, what's the implication? That Artemis is a false, fake God, okay? And, and that's the implication that the people of Ephesus were experiencing, okay? So proclamation, okay? Implication, what is the transformation? If Artemis isn't a real God and a false God, then why am I spending money on this silver shrine, that's how it worked. Pro proclamation, implication, transformation. And the entire city was transformed. People said, we don't want that. We don't want to go to that temple. We don't want to engage in this. We, we used to love Artemis, but we have a new love now. And our new love has driven out the love for the old so much that we don't even care about Artemis anymore. We don't care about the shrines. We don't care about the holidays. We want more Jesus. That's what happened in, in that entire city. So how do we change a city? Well, not with political processes, creating anti this or that campaigns. Here's how we do it. It will be the power of the gospel and affection for Jesus in the hearts of individuals that will close abortion clinics and battered women's shelters. That, that's how you change a city. That, that's how you change. It, it begins in the hearts of individuals. I mean, can you imagine every strip club across all of Georgia closes down? Because people stop going. Because men got great convictions in their heart and they put away their, their love for lust and pornography and, and they started having a greater affection and love for Christ so much so that every strip club in Georgia shuts down. Every strip club in the Southeast in the entire nation shuts down because there came in a new affection for Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. And, and look, if you don't think that's possible, it's written right here. It can happen. And so listen, I've been praying all week long, Jesus, would you unleash the power of the gospel in Fayetteville? Just, just let it off the chain, unleash it so that we might see an entire city change. I believe that can happen, don't you? An entire city can be changed by the gospel and it starts in the hearts of individuals who say we love Jesus more than our pride. We love Jesus more than our money. We love Jesus more than our comfort. We love Jesus more than anything else in the world. He is our new affection. And it can change the world. Now, not only does it work on a national level of seeing the gospel go out and changing an entire city, which is what this church's goal is to proclaim the gospel and see an entire city transformed, but it also happens in our lives. It happens in the lives of the individuals. So if you've come this morning struggling with sin, 
struggling with pornography, struggling with pride, struggling with depression, struggling. If you came in this morning wondering, there is this sin and it's just always there and I've done everything that I know to do, but it just won't go away. Here's what you need. A greater love. So practically, four things, if you want to jot these down in your notes. How do we increase our affection for Christ? Okay? We, we, we've just done a bunch of history. We, we walked through that text. We, that we're, we're landing the plane now because if, if there's anything, listen, if there's anything you get out of the sermon today, I want you to have a greater affection for Christ. I want you to love Jesus more. I want your heart and your soul to be stirred for him, for his beauty, for his majesty, for his work, for what, for what he's done. Because I think once that love grows, it naturally pushes out other loves that we should not have. Number one, see the magnificent picture of Christ presented to us in his word. This, this is where you start this paints a beautiful picture. If you'll, just, if you'll just get in this thing. I mean, our, our sister who was leading us in worship as she, as she read the, the call to worship, she was overcome with affection for Christ, right? And, and, and that's what happens when you, when you get into this, when you begin to turn the pages and read about Jesus and you see what he's done and all that he's accomplished. There's something that begins to stir in you that go, I, I love him. I love that dude. He is, he's incredible, and I, and I just want to love him more. And, and, and listen, men, okay, who say, you know, we're talking about feelings and affection, right? The most manly thing a dude can do is love him some Jesus. Amen? So get into this because it shows us, it paints the picture of who Jesus Christ is. And the more you see of him, the more you get to know him, the, the more is revealed to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's word. It, it just stirs something in your soul and you go, I love him, I love him, I love him. I wanna put away these other loves because I love him. Number two, spend time with Christ through prayer songs and meditation, okay? Prayer, songs, and meditation, okay, prayers. Um, that is uh, talking to him. Uh, that is uh, sharing with him what's going on in your life. It, it, it's very, very simple, okay? Um, I'm, I'm a dad, and I want my daughter to bring anything to me, okay? Whatever she wants to talk about, that's what I want to talk about, okay? I love talking about Anna and Elsa, okay? It, is, it brings joy to my soul, okay? But so, so I'm not going to dismiss her when she brings something that is unimportant, right? Uh, you know, when, when she comes running in there and, 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 you know, she's like, you know, Daddy, will you help me with this sticker or, you know, whatever it is, I'm not, you know, I'm an adult, okay? Uh, I have important things to do, bills to pay, uh, no, no, I, I, I get the sticker, right? Because it's important in her world. And in the same way, what's important in our world is, is important to God because he loves us, okay? So, so that's what prayer is. It's just simply communicating to God, okay? So, so through prayer and song, but I sing terrible. Well, sing by yourself, okay? 
I, you probably do sing terrible. So uh, as you're driving to, to work, okay, turn the radio off and just sing, right? Just sing to him out loud. Open up your mouth, right? Nobody's there to hear you. It can be terrible. doesn't matter. But, but what you're doing is you're engaging in worship. You're spending time with, with Jesus through song. Heck, if you don't know any songs, make up a song. Just, just try it. It's incredible, okay? So prayer, song, meditation, okay? Uh, this does not include sitting in the lotus position or anything weird, Okay, here's what I mean. I mean to focus your mind on who God is. Okay, that, that's meditation. Let me, let me give you, a, a, this is a tip. This is what I do a lot, okay? I work through the Lord's prayer in my mind. Okay, so, so it's different than, than praying or supplication in the sense that I'm not asking for anything, um, but what I'm doing is I'm meditating on who God is. So, so I begin with our Father, Okay. God, God is father, it means that, that he is loving and he's caring. Uh, he, he's better than any earthly father. He's the great father. I, I, I wanna aspire to be like him as a, as a good father, our father. God, you're, you're the father who, who are in heaven. He's, he's in heaven, meaning he's in charge, meaning I, can, I, I don't have to worry so much because he's in heaven. He's sitting on the throne. He's ruling and reigning, right? Do you, do you see how meditation, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I, I want your name to be worshiped. God, if, if, if there's anything in my life that, that isn't honoring to you and, and, and giving my life to you, God, would you just reveal that to me? Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God, help me to, to share the gospel with people so that your kingdom might be established. That, that, that's meditating. That's focusing your mind on sections of scripture, focusing your mind on God's attributes. That, that is the practice of meditation, okay? Number one, see the magnificent picture of Christ presented to us in his word. Two, spend time with Christ through prayer, songs, and meditation. Three, get around others who have a deep affection for Christ. It is contagious. It's so contagious. When you get around people who love Jesus, you kind of start to love Jesus a little more. As, as they talk about Jesus, you're going, yeah, yeah, he is pretty awesome. And that's, that's so cool. When you, when you hear stories about J Jesus saving people, when you hear stories about Jesus working in people's lives, when, when you do that, all of a sudden you get, you get excited, you get stirred up because Jesus is working in their life and, and you wanted to work in your life more. And, and, and there's something about getting around other people and other believers. This happens on Sunday morning. This also happens in community groups. That, that's why we do community groups here at this church. We're saying, get around other people who love Jesus, okay? Because it will help stir your affection, okay? See the magnificent picture of Christ presented to us in his word. Spend time with Christ through prayer, songs, and meditation. Three, get around others who have a deep affection for Christ. Four, Ask him for a deeper affection that would spill over into your life. Ask him. Ask him for it. Listen, look, look right up here. The point of this sermon is not leave out of here today and muster up a greater affection for Christ. Go do it. That, that is not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is to take these steps to help foster a great affection for Christ and then ask him to do what only he can do, which is change the desires of your heart by giving you a greater affection for him. He ultimately is still the one who does the work, not you. <laughs> That's awesome, right? He, he's the one who did all the work on the cross. As a matter of fact, he said, it's finished. 
And he's the one who continues to do the work by sending the Holy Spirit to do that miraculous work in your life by changing your heart's affections. All right, I'm done, y'all. I'm gonna close with this. The temple of Artemis is gone. All that's left in Ephesus is like a cracked foundation. That massive city that was big and thriving that all those people loved so much and fought so hard for, uh, it's basically laying in ruins. And the only people who go to the city of Ephesus are archaeologists and people on Bible tours. They, they loved it. They gave their life to it. They chanted it. it, it, it it's what they loved. They, and where is it today? It, it's, a, it's a pile of rubble. It's, it's laying in ruin, in dust and ashes. And let me ask you this, friends. Where is the kingdom of God? It is going and growing and multiplying. Listen, don't be scared by all of the Pew Research polls that, that, that sees you know, Christianity in America going down. You have to understand that Christianity is exploding in Asia and Africa and South America and all other parts of the world. God is not asleep at the wheel. He's not concerned about Pew Research polls. He understands that the gospel is still going out. The church is still growing, still expanding. And one day he will return to call his children. So, let us increase our affection for Christ so that we would then share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm so scared. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to talk to people. I mean, that, that's just the heart. thing. When your affection grows for Christ, it comes naturally. You can't help but to talk about the things that you love. I tell people all the time about my favorite restaurants, my favorite bands, my favorite, right? I, I tell people, I talk to people about my loves and I don't have to force it. It's not a forced thing to talk to people about what I love. So when my affection grows for Christ, I begin to share my faith, right? So the, listen, uh, the, the temple of Artemis and, and Ephesus is laying in ruin. God's kingdom is going and growing. So my prayer for you has been, I've prayed this for every single person in this room all week long, that our affection for Christ would grow and grow and grow. Let me pray for us. Father, grow our affection for your son, Jesus. Help our heart to sing the song of the name of Jesus. Father, may we be ever loving you more and more and more and let that love for you push out other loves, loves that are unhealthy, loves that are disproportionate to uh, what should be happening in our life. Grow us in affection, God. We're, we're asking you to grow us in affection so that Gospel Community Church might be a hub where that great affection moves out from, that we might not be known for what we're against, but God, let us be known in this city, in this town, in this state for what we are for, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that gospel then have implication and transformation in the lives of the people, and let us see this city transformed. Let the banner over this city be the name of Jesus Christ, but first and foremost, let it be the banner over our own hearts. Ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.